0: How is Kava Group's integration of Zoe's Kitchen going? Hello, this is Jonathan Mays, Editor-in-Chief of Restaurant Business, and in this week's episode of A Deeper Dive, I speak with Brett Schulman, the CEO of Kava Group, who talks about a wide variety of topics, but particularly its integration of Zoe's Kitchen. Kava acquired Zoe's in 2018 for $300 million in one of the more interesting deals of recent vintage. Both were fast, casual Mediterranean chains, but Zoe's was publicly traded at the time. After some time, Kava has been converting Zoe's restaurants into Kava locations. Such conversions used to be relatively popular in the industry in the 1990s, but have been relatively rare since. The first watch used conversions to grow quickly several years ago. Brett talks about why that strategy makes sense for Kava and what it's doing for his company and its growth. We also talk about digital sales, the current state of delivery, and Kava's potential plans for catering. And Brett talks about his company's strategy to balance demand from all these channels. We're talking with one of the premier fast casual executives in the industry on a deeper dive, so please have a listen. Okay, I am here with Brett Schulman. Brett, welcome to the podcast
1: thanks jonathan great to be here cool well uh tell us what's going on with uh kava right now oh we've got a lot going on Uh, we just closed out our largest expansion year ever in 2022 Hmm. Uh, we opened 83 new kava locations a combination of conversions of our zoe's kitchen restaurants alongside greenfield restaurant growth so we now operate in 23 states including the district of Columbia. Uh, We've also continued building out our infrastructure, including our digital platform. We recently launched our new unified uh, e-commerce website to complement our Kava app. So this is another way for our guests to order their favorite Mediterranean meal on their terms. And we underpin this digital infrastructure. um, What it underpins, we expanded new format types, including uh, our digital drive-through pickup lanes. So we now have 17 of those in operation, as well as our standalone digital kitchens, which are serving as centralized production hubs for a new catering channel that we're testing. And then lastly, I'll note, we recently broke ground on a new second production facility for our dips and spreads. So this will allow us not only to support our restaurant growth, but expand our consumer packaged goods line that we currently sell in Whole Foods markets and other grocery chains.
0: Okay, so you are fairly busy. (laughs) A little bit. Um yeah. So let me let me I want to ask you about the Zoe's Is uh is uh is is the plan ultimately to convert all of them or are you gonna have still some Zoe's kitchens when all this is done?
1: Yeah, we're pretty far through our transformation of our Zoe's kitchen acquisition, and it was really rooted in the thesis of acquiring a, a significant portion of real estate in a in a desirable part of the country where we're trying to uh, expand and accelerate our expansion, that being the Sunbelt and the suburbs. And so uh, we have converted over 125 Zoe's kitchen locations to Kava restaurants to date. Uh, we've got a couple dozen remaining, and uh, we plan to be uh, complete with our conversion program uh, later this year.
0: Mm-hmm. What's uh, how is that I mean, so I, I assume obviously that's gone relatively well. Is, uh, is like how does that compare? Like why go that route, for instance, versus building units uh, from the ground up?
1: Yeah, it allowed us uh, a known quantity uh, of high quality real estate with existing leases with significant remaining term at very affordable lease rates, you know, when those leases were signed years ago as a way to accelerate our expansion. So uh, we are able to take a Zoe's Kitchen restaurant and convert it at about half the cost of a greenfield build and do it in a much shorter time frame. So we've been able to drive significant uh, average weekly sales growth and incremental uh, restaurant level EBITDA, making it a very attractive capital investment and a capital efficient way for us to accelerate our growth alongside of our successful uh, Greenfield restaurant growth.
0: Yeah. You know, it's, um, it's not a, a strategy. I mean, it's a strategy that we used to see a lot in the restaurant space, but we haven't really seen it a ton. I mean, First Watch it did it a ton. Uh, but really, you you would have, um, expect I think a little bit more than I think. We don't really see a lot of uh, conversion acquisitions. Usually, it's usually it's uh, you know somebody buys it to run it as the as the brand rather than converting it. It Was kind of a a, a rare deal at least in modern times.
1: Yeah, it was a bit of an unorthodox move for us. But it, what was attractive to us is it gave us uh, not only that high quality real estate to accelerate our expansion, but gave us uh, immediate scale as well. And I think there were a few unique aspects of this specific acquisition that worked for us. One being that the real estate was very complementary to our existing footprint. And it was very much in an area of the country we were at the time trying to, to enter. And again, whether uh, that's Texas and um, uh, Houston and Dallas or Atlanta, which were some of the best markets in the Zoe's portfolio, uh, as well as the ability to not have to change the use clause. So Zoe's was an operator as a Mediterranean use. So by right in our leases, we also had that Mediterranean use as Kava. So that just made it a more frictionless uh, transition of those leases to Kava leases. So also the size of the box, right? The size of the restaurant and the profile of the restaurant also was a great fit for what we were doing at Cava and what we wanted to do. So it's really worked out as we had hoped and and even then some and even better. And what it's also allowed us to do is rapidly densify markets. Mm -hmm. So, you know, take a a market like Houston, for example. We started 2022 with zero Cava locations in Houston. We ended the year with 15 all high quality sites. So to be able to do that um, from a a Greenfield perspective, would have taken us a number of years and had to build that kind of critical uh, mass from a supply chain team member and guest awareness standpoint that we're able to rapidly do it in twelve months. Mm-hmm. So, what about the what
0: about the customer base? I mean, was there any uh, any pushback from from customers in in those converted units?
1: You know, it, what we found was that it was a fairly different customer base. Um, you know, our, our Zoe's guests were a bit of an older customer and a bit of a different income strata versus what we see on the Kava side. But we do have some of our our former Zoe's guests joining us at Kava as we open. But what we found is that if a community like Zoe's, they're loving Kava. And and we're seeing that through that average weekly sales lift and through the significant increase in uh, in guest traffic when we open up Kava's. And that's kind of how we looked at it when we looked at the portfolio, we judged these sites by, you know, if we came in and it was just, you know, a, a blank sheet of paper, it was a any old restaurant that was in that real estate, would this be real estate that would make sense for us as Kava in what we had seen historically up to that point?
0: Mm-hmm. So you're testing catering. That makes like all the sense of the world, I think, for you guys.
1: Yeah. So we've had it highly requested since our very first days but we were very mindful not to disrupt the in-restaurant production and and digital order production experience. So we do have second dedicated digital make lines in every restaurant. We've had that since 2015 uh, to not detract from our in-restaurant serving line and experience. And so we didn't want catering. We wanted to think about catering the same way. How do we support this catering opportunity without disrupting uh, the great experience that our guests have, whether they're doing digital order, or in restaurant ordering. And so we saw an opportunity to use some of our Zoe's real estate that had uh, locations that were ideally situated uh, around other regular Kava locations that we could use them as centralized hub production. But there are restaurant storefronts, so we can also use them for digital order, just general off-premises production. So uh, we have uh, 10 operating to date. uh, And for example, we have one in Sandy Springs in Atlanta, that we have a number of other Kava locations uh, located within three to five miles. And this does all the catering production as well as digital order pickup and delivery courier pick, pickup. So how we think about markets is really from a, a kitchen productive production perspective. So you think about our physical demand and our digital demand or our off-premises demand and how we orient that production can come in a lot of different ways with our format evolutions. So whether that's a digital drive-through pickup lane, whether it's one of our digital kitchens, whether it's a regular Cava restaurant with 70 to 80 seats in the dining room, we have a number of these kind of arrows in our quiver, so to speak, that we can pull out and use to address the specific needs of our guests in that market, as well as the channel opportunities. Mm -hmm. So
0: how do you identify whether you know whether a a market needs requires one of these sort of digital kitchens i mean yeah
1: well that that's one of the one of the great assets we acquired with our zoe's business uh 17 of zoe's revenue was driven from catering really great catering program uh great catering sales team we, we have today now that we're applying against the the kava brand and a lot of data and understanding and learnings and historical data that we can look at and understand where that demand was in these markets we're operating in. And then also look at our data from our regular physical in-restaurant demand, as well as digital ordering to say, how do we orient, again, these formats in this production, what's the office component of a market, college high schools, we have a lot of college adjacent restaurants, and how do we, again, support that demand without coming at the expense of another channel? Because I think we saw that when we had acquired Zoe's, that there were some challenges with the in-restaurant business, given the focus on catering.
0: Really? So with with your catering focus, is that, I mean, we've, we're seeing a lot more investment right now in in catering, though it's sort of shifted. Do we, where is, I mean, what are your traditional customers right now for, for that particular business?
1: Yeah, it's everything. It's all types of catering. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, we kind of think about it in small groups and large groups. So one of the things people requested over the years and and that we we've uh we're testing now is it's in a sense taking a mini version of our ordering line and setting it up as a buffet uh for a large group and so uh we have a great offering where you have your 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 bases your proteins your dips and spreads your your toppings and your dressings and you take a little bowl and you go down and you build your own bowl uh, for large groups so we call it our bowl bar and then we also have uh for smaller groups And some pretty large size groups, we get these too, where you can order a group of 50, can all order their own bowl, their own custom salad, grain bowl, greens and grains, uh, or order a group of our curated bowls to be delivered so that everybody has their own personal meal. So we think about it in in those ways, and uh, we've seen great traction with uh, office workers uh, and large meetings there, or even other events, uh, sports teams. So a lot of the university, a lot of the colleges, whether it's the USC football team or some pro sports teams like the Atlanta Hawks, we see some great demand uh, with our our Mediterranean cuisine. That's that unique cuisine where taste and health unite. And so it's a great option for for athletes, uh, whether in college or the professional leagues.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense.
1: So what's uh, what's uh, what's what's the digital business like at this point? Yeah, it's about 34% of revenue, uh, but the dollars continue to increase. You know, our business has grown significantly over the last few years. And while the percentages have come down from the height of the pandemic as our in-restaurant business comes back significantly, the dollars in the digital channel continue to grow. And that's, you know, a mix between digital order pickup, uh, third-party marketplace delivery, as well as our own native delivery.
0: Mm-hmm. What's your thoughts on, on on delivery at this particular point? Is that business still pretty strong? Do you see that uh, continuing to grow or do you see that moderating?
1: Uh, we see it moderating a little bit, but again, the dollars are continuing to grow. But as a percentage, it's certainly a new channel that has emerged over the last five plus years that is a need state that we want to make sure we can address. So we. Well, you know, at Kava, we talk about, we want to meet you on your terms so that you can traffic through our brand digitally and physically, depending on where you are, how you want it, when you want it, where you have access through all these different channels based on your needs in the moment. And delivery is one of those channels that there are situations that people want to pay for that convenience and have Kava brought to them right at their doorstep.
0: Mm -hmm. Does, uh, that's That's been a, a business that's been a lot more resilient, I think, uh, in the current market than I would have imagined that it would have been sort of given the state of inflation. But then again, I mean, I think sometimes I think the customers that are ordering delivery don't care what what it costs because, A, they probably have more money anyway, uh, and and their time is more valuable at that particular moment. So it's been more resilient than I would have predicted.
1: I, I definitely agree on this, especially on the latter statement that you know people view it as their time is more valuable, and this is they're paying for that convenience and the luxury of that because their time's more valuable.
0: Mm-hmm. So you're you're pretty cognizant of 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 trying to 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 strike a balance between your different different offerings to make sure that catering doesn't take away from your in restaurant business and that digital doesn't doesn't damage that. That seems to be a kind of a tough balancing act.
1: Yeah, but that's kind of how we we build our brand is we've we've got a balanced lunch dinner day part mix we're about you know um, 5446 on the lunch uh, dinner mix. Uh, we've got a pretty good balance we're in the you know about 80% of our our, our real estate portfolio is suburban, about 20% urban. Uh, we've got great balance in our guest base whether it's Gen Z, millennial, Gen X or or baby boomer and uh, we're about 50-50 male female gender diversity. So we look at channel diversity the same way and and figure out how do we support that broad appeal and how do we use uh, our formats and our digital capabilities to uh, enable that production seamlessly uh, and address all of these different channel opportunities and guests that want to come enjoy a meal with us. Mm-hmm. So uh,
0: let, me, let me ask you this question. How, how, what's your confidence level, January 2023? What's your confidence level at right now?
1: Well, I think um I'm an optimist by nature, but I'm also pragmatic about potential challenges lurking around the corner. I think on the positive side, our staffing levels and the quality of our team are the best they've been since before the pandemic. I think we've seen supply chain disruptions reduce significantly and inflationary pressures have subsided for the time being, but I'm also cognizant of uh, monetary policy has tightened significantly and rapidly over the last 9 months and That, along with inflation over that period, puts pressure on our guests. It's why we worked very hard in 2022 to only raise our in-restaurant pricing 4.5% when industry pricing and food-at-home inflation significantly outpace that. So we're focused on delivering a great guest experience, putting forward that tremendous value proposition for our guests when they're feeling those pressures elsewhere to allow us to be resilient in the face of any uh, potential macro headwinds. How are
0: you able to? Uh, I mean, four and a half percent. I can't imagine that your costs, your your labor costs, were going up only four and a half percent, or your food costs were certainly probably not going up four and a half percent. How did you adjust to? How did you deal with that particular challenge?
1: Well, a couple ways. It was kind of uh, you know embedded in investments we've made over the years. Uh, from day one, we built this brand as a place where people can grow both personally and professionally, where they can create a career for themselves at Kaba and not just have a job. So whether that was, you know, back in 2016, we took our national starting wage to $13 an hour. It seems like a lifetime ago, but made annual investments every year thereafter and, uh, you know, have maintained a, an above average wage, hourly wage. So we didn't have maybe as much catch up to do on that front. Uh, that got passed along in price increases. So we didn't have quite uh, that labor inflation on that side. We had already made those investments in prior years. And on the supply chain side, about 90% of our ingredients are directly sourced with our uh, relationships with our grower rancher partners that we've established over the years. And we handle all of our logistics and inbound freight. So as we've had dynamic rapid growth, I talked about the 83 restaurants we opened last year, that allows us to get density and scale from a logistics standpoint, so you think about, you know, uh, pallet pricing going from less than truckload to half truckload to truckload, getting efficiencies there, as well as our vertical integration. I, I mentioned our second production facility we're breaking ground on allows us to do very cost-effective, efficient, consistent, high-quality production at scale. That again gives us uh, that offset to some of the, um, you know, the inflationary cogs pressures we've seen over the last 24 months.
0: Yeah. Let's ask about the labor thing. So you, you were focused on pretty much on retention then.
1: Yeah. Retention and development and recruitment. Look, we our staffing levels are much higher than 2019 because our business has grown significantly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I mentioned the wage part, but we, we've invested in other benefits over the years. Uh, one of the first to offer paid time off to vote uh, for our team members. Uh, in January of last year, we launched uh, Mental Health Benefits whether you're on our health plan or not, and also available to your family members. And then the opportunity we have with our growth is giving people a clear visibility to a developmental path where you can come in as a team member. And if you have the will and develop the skill within a very short period of time, be, be running a, a restaurant as a, as a leader and a general manager. So, um, you know, the the proof is in the the, the pudding, so to speak, where our team members that come in, they see that happening and they get inspired by it and continue to have those opportunities to grow with us as we open new restaurants.
0: Yeah, that's kind of a key point. Like uh, like retention is so too, often is overlooked, I think, in this in, 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 in the labor piece. But it's just a lot cheaper to keep an existing employee than it is to have to recruit somebody. And, you know, if 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 they know that they can go and get a few bucks more somewhere else, you know, that's that's. Uh, you know that's something. It, it just seems like it makes so much more sense to focus on trying to keep the staff you have, especially when they're good, um, but, rather than trying to have to recruit a bunch of new people.
1: That's right. Keep them and develop them, and and have them grow. Um, you know, you, you mentioned it. There's lost productivity. There's retraining costs, rehiring costs, and we know our tenured teams that have worked together. They they run better restaurants, better guest scores. Uh, better financial results, more efficient uh, operations. So you know we we look at all different ways to make sure that our team members feel like we have their backs and we're supporting them. Again, that that they have not only a purpose that they're working for, but they have that visibility to their own personal and professional growth, uh, because that that kind of gives back to Kava and it helps us grow in concert.
0: Yeah, well, and you and it's kind of important for a company like you to yours to 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 develop these people because you've got some growth needs.
1: Yes, we have a a very developed pipeline uh, of talent for our future restaurant openings this year and even in the 2024. And we get those people on that, our team members on that development path and work with them to make sure that they're prepared and they're ready. And um, that's a huge part of our uh, ability to be able to open these restaurants. Like I said, the 83 last year, it's critical to be able to not only open them, but open them successfully and put our best foot forward in these new markets.
0: So. So you didn't feel any pressure to raise prices more aggressively than four and a half percent, huh? Or did you?
1: No, like I said, you know, we're focused on our guest value proposition and we were able to grow our restaurant level margins at the same time. So we always think about uh, what are we doing for our guests, our team members and our investors and our stakeholders and making sure we check every box, not just one of them. And so we were uh, fortunately able to do that last year. And able to deliver value for our guests while being able to deliver value both for our team members and our investors. Mm-hmm. So
0: uh, let me ask you about the 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 CPG business because you 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 mentioned the magic phrase vertically integrated. You know I mean we see here and there but uh, again not rel- you know relatively uncommon. Uh, why did you choose that route? Why why not go through say I don't know some company that makes dips and sauces?
1: Well, the interesting thing is it actually predated our fast casual, but most importantly, we really wanted to control the quality and the sourcing and production of it. But, you know, Kava was born out of uh, my partners, all sons of Greek immigrants, founded the brand with a single full service Kava Mese restaurant, still exists in Rockville, Maryland today. And, you know, small plates, craft cocktails and the popular dips and spreads that were served in that restaurant Uh, they started selling a couple local Whole Foods. And that's where I had joined up with them and met up with them to help with that business. And they asked me to come on board and be their fourth partner. And we started talking about how do we take this great food and really bring it to a larger audience, this unique cuisine where taste and health unite. And how do we unlock it and unleash it to uh, a larger audience? And so we took elements, both from our full service restaurant and the dips and spreads that we were selling in some local Whole Foods at the time, and put it in the walk the line format, our fast casual as you know it today as Kava, and uh, co-founded and opened our first in January of 2011. And we opened it with this commercial kitchen we were producing the dips and spreads in already for Whole Foods. So we, we felt like it was a core part of our menu and our offerings. And we continue to invest in that infrastructure over time and over the years as we scaled and eventually moved and built a uh, a large production facility in Maryland. And now we're building our second production facility down in uh, Southern Virginia.
0: Mm -hmm. Are you expanding the availability beyond uh, Whole Foods? Uh...
1: Yes, we are currently sold in some giant foods, uh, Safeway, My Organic Market, some regional distribution. But we haven't pushed on that channel uh, over the years as significantly because it, the production has mostly supported the restaurant growth, but mm-hmm. with our new production facility, that will open up the opportunity to grow that channel more significantly if we think that that's uh, the right thing to do. All right. So what's 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 next for Cava?
0: Where do you go from here?
1: Yeah, it's more uh, bringing Cava to more communities across the country. So like I said, we're in 23 states in the District of Columbia Uh, This year, we're going to be focusing on uh, growth within that 23-state footprint uh, and really building out the markets, completing our Zoe's acquisition transformation. As I said, we'll be uh, complete with that later this year. So excited to get back to a single Kava brand state uh, and continuing to try and bring the Mediterranean across the country.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you see like, uh, is that like the, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing here that there's always thing was more opportunistic. Do you, do you foresee other types of deals like that? Uh, buy and convert.
1: We're always open and looking at what is the right thing for our business at a given moment. It would have to take a unique opportunity and something as complementary as, as the Zoe's real estate footprint was to make sense, but certainly um, our you know, looking around to say, is there something else that could make sense that could be an opportunity for us to accelerate our growth?
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess probably
1: the last question, what's the one thing keeping you up at night right now? Well, Jonathan, everything always keeps me up at night. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think the biggest thing, though, is uh, is our people, right? We're a people business. You know, my my partner, Ted, he, he said, we're not in the restaurant business, we're in the making people happy business. And that's that's our guests. But if we're not making our team members happy, they're not making our guests happy. So it's making sure we attract and to what you said, most importantly, retain and develop our people and our team members, because they're the ones I'm talking to you right now. They're the ones cooking our food and serving our food to our guests. So making sure that they feel fully supported and that we empower and equip them with the tools and the capabilities to succeed. All right.
0: Super. Brett, I love this. This was fantastic. Thanks for joining me this week on the podcast.
1: Great. Thanks, Jathan. appreciate you having me. And that should do it for this week's
0: episode of A Deeper Dive, which was edited, as always, by Kimmy Kosmerich. Artwork by Nico Hines. You may find this on other episodes of the podcast on our website at www.restaurantbusinessonline.com backslash article backslash deeper dash dive. And you may subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'm Jonathan Mays, your host, podcast producer, and the editor-in-chief of Restaurant Business. Thank you for listening.